discovering voices, building worlds, the Ampliverse. Welcome to the Autistic Delicatessen. What you eat, what you drink, is your story. So when you eat with awareness, you want to eat what you already think you are. When they're looking at history, looking at our food, there's just so much to bring people together. Come get this love. Come get this love. Welcome to the Autistic Delicatessen. We are your hosts, Larnell and Onikage. Our podcast provides a selection of stories from various food personalities and restaurants around the world. Every food tells a story. We are both autistic and love to share our love of food. So what better way to express that is to find guests involved in the food industry and to talk about all things food and their stories. Today's guest is Janu. Originally from India, Janu immigrated with her family to the US while she was in the fifth grade. Through her life, food has been a big impact from growing up with a varied knowledge of traditional Indian foods. Janu can make many traditional foods and is of Baha'i faith. Again, Food has been a big part of Janu's life in terms of spirituality, with examples of mindfulness while eating both physically and spiritually. We'll discuss more on that topic soon. And right now, before our conversation, Oni, let's get into some Indian food and Indian cuisines. Now, I know for me, the time that I got connected to Indian food was really, to my knowledge right now, was after an Indian classical music concert. I used to live in South Florida, around the Fort Lauderdale area here in Florida in the U.S., and I remember I had some non bread, I had this green stuff, you know, that I was able to dip the bread in there. And then, of course, I had something called dal, which was really good, you know, like an Indian type of thing on there. So, oh, you know, I've tried dal, it's yeah. nice, but it has some potato in it, though, if I remember correctly. Ah, uh, but, but, yeah, but the sauce and everything else around it is really nice. Oh, yeah. And it was good vegetarian food because it was something to where, like, along with paying for the concert, they also had some boxes to where you can order Indian vegetarian dinner. And it was through the Association of Performing Arts of India in South Florida, which are still going on. Shout out to you guys. But it was really good food. And that's how much I knew about it. And there was another potato thing. I'm trying to think. It was something, but it tasted good. And I remember I got it from an Indian grocery store that was around my area in Broward in Florida. So, you know, that was my connection with Indian food. How about yours? Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> um, when it comes to Indian food, I'm not sure how much is bastardized because we have a big takeaway culture in the UK. We have like Chinese and we have like Indian and we have like good kebabs and things like that. And we have like all these local takeaways. We have some fancy restaurants that can be more authentic to Indian food, like proper Indian restaurants. But we have our own curry called chicken tikka masala. Uh-huh. That's a, a British thing based, I think, uh, I can't remember who made it. I think it was an Indian guy who immigrated to the UK. I could be wrong in this. I apologize if this is wrong information. This is just based on what I'm trying to remember. And it made um, a creamy, mild chicken curry thing. And a lot of people eat it and think, oh, it's Indian. But it's actually a British one. It's like a yogurt marinated chicken cooked in spiced tomato sauce. It's actually quite nice. Um, oh, but okay. with more proper Indian foods, and there is quite a few curries I've tried. I'm trying to think of one in particular. I can't think of specific ones at the moment. It's annoying, unfortunately. <laughs> There's a few specific curries that are really nice. And they usually have like chicken and certain beefs and that. And you can get like vegetarian ones and they can be really nice. I'm not sure if the takeaway ones are like full traditional Indian or if they're based on other Middle Eastern, Central Eastern, I'm 100% sure. 
But they do have nan bread. Um, nan bread. Nan's fine. But they also have like Peshwari nan, which has like a sweet bread spread in the center. I can't remember what it is, but it's really nice. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, like sweet bread. It's that, that must, samosas are good as well. I like samosas. They're cool. Oh, they. Oh, that's why I just remembered samosas. That's one of the things I had in the past. That's one of those potato things right there. So um, yeah. you, can get, like, you can get like different flavors in that as well. Um, don't know if it's a traditional thing or a bastardized thing, but I've, I've had a bit. I had a few veggie samosas, and they're nice. Because when you've been to Indian restaurants or had Indian food in the UK, have they been mostly like from your experience only at like been vegetarian mostly from what you know? Um, I've seen a mixture. It's not exclusively vegetarian or exclusively meat. It's actually a mixture. You see things that have chicken with it or you see things that have vegetarian versions and stuff or just veggie. And obviously they usually serve a lot of curries and stuff like that with rice. And you can get like... Oh my gosh, everyone who's hearing right now, you probably know what the rice is called. I'm having a complete brain fart. (laughs) But there's a specific rice they use. I think traditionally they put turmeric in the rice as well. I'm not 100% sure on that, but turmeric's good in general though. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, turmeric. Even when you think about like turmeric with some kombucha, if it's some good orange turmeric flavors, you know. Oh my, turmeric's good in like drinks you can have turmeric shots turmeric lattes it's like your health food trendy thing these days just don't spill turmeric on your work tops it takes ages it's like a couple of weeks to get the stain off my god <laughs> that <laughs> yellow color it'll be your worst enemy once you spill turmeric related foods <laughs> <laughs> well here in the u.s just get some thai bleach like when there's like small thai pins right there and then try to get it off hopefully that can get off so you yeah, know I, I i i wait till it goes away because i usually do clean often i don't like using bleach unless i have to Unless it actually needs a proper clean down because, you know, asthmatic and all that. <laughs> oh, that, Those that, chemicals that, that, ain't good for you. <laughs> well, it all depends, though. But if you're allergic to it, maybe it's not the best thing. So that it's too. like, that yeah, too. yeah. And coming up next, our conversation with our special guest. Janu, welcome to the Autistic Delicatessen. It's great having you here. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Could you tell us your story about food and spirituality and also your origins and such? Sure, absolutely. Just a little background of who I am. I was born originally in southern India and grew up there until I was in fifth grade. My parents immigrated to the U.S. I grew up in the Midwest until I was in high school. And then I've been in the South and in the Northeast and now reside in Tampa. But my experience with food, I think, is very much colored by my geographical and cultural experiences. And so as an adult, I became a Baha'i. So from a spiritual perspective, I think colored by that as well. Hmm. I've known you from your husband, Steve, you know, just from the different talks that we've had in the meetups, you know, with the Baha'i meetups. Yes. It's so intriguing how like there's such a variety of foods. So what's your go-to food in terms of Indian dishes or other cultural dishes, which you'd be connected with? Yeah. So, you know, as a go-to, it is now, as I've gotten older, my comfort food is always Indian food. I remember as a youngster in the U.S. seeing older Indian people who had immigrated to the U.S., 
go out for a steak dinner and come home and have uh, an Indian snack in order to complete the meal. And I thought it was silly, but I realized as I've gotten older, and I think maybe there's some parallels, not just with food, but with other comfort zones, but I reach for Indian food as comfort food. And India in a geographical sense is incredibly varied in its food. It's one third the size of the US, but one of the largest in size in the world. And it spans, you know, all the way from almost the equator to quite north. So the climate's very varied. And then it's had tons of invasions with Mughal invaders, with, you know, Muslim invaders, with Aryan invaders, all kinds of influences throughout the years. I happen to come from the southernmost region where Dravidian culture, which is the original native peoples in India from most accounts, you know, originated from. And their skin color tends to be much darker because they've had much less interaction with lots of the uh, the influx of the warriors and wars that came into India because the border is very wide at the top in the north and so much easier and harder to protect up there. But usually people who were invading would get tired, you know, sort of halfway through the conquest in the interior of India and never made it down to the south. So the food also reflects you know, the region, the climate and the original traditions. So there tends to be, there's a lot of coastline along India. So India tends to narrow similar to Florida down its tip. And so there's tons of coastline all around there. So seafood is a very big component of food. Lentils are a mainstay. And I think in the US, when we say lentils, people think of, you know, one, maybe two or three, if they're really adventurous. But in India, there are literally hundreds of types of lentils that you can eat. And people also, I think, presume that Indians are vegetarians. And while there are a lot of Indians who are vegetarians, there are quite a number who are not. It just depends on what community you're from and where you are. So the region I come from, it's actually um, in the community that I come from. They're known as Chetiars. They used to uh, be the merchants, the, the trading class. They've traveled all over. They tend to be big meat eaters. So I grew up with a very varied diet with meat, but meat is never the central part of a meal. It's more of a condiment and more of an accessory than the main part of a meal. And there's a reference to a name called Thali, which if you go to Indian restaurants in the US and they serve South Indian food, you'll often see that. And that's very indicative of how food is eaten in India. So rather than having one main dish like steak or chicken or you know lasagna or whatever it might be, the meal itself consists of a variety of different vegetables and maybe a meat or two, but none of them take center stage. It's they're all in concert. And so compiling a good meal consists of, you know, making sure you have something crunchy, making sure you have something soft, something sweet, something spicy. So it's intended to be the right balance of all those things, colors. And then rice is kind of the base. So you start with rice and you have some kind of, for lack of a better word, I guess, soup, although we don't call it soup in India, to start. And similar to like the French concept of multiple courses, each thing you put on the rice tends to be heavier as it goes. So the first thing you use is a clear broth to sort of start your palate and get it going. And then once you have that, then you have something a little bit more spicy that you put on the rice that's a gravy. And then you always end a South Indian meal with yogurt on top of rice because it cools down your palate and it helps with digestion and it's kind of signals to your brain. It's the end of the meal. And then throughout each of those courses, so to speak, you have the varied uh, number of vegetables, you know, at least two, three or four, and, you know, guests are coming more and a meat or two to go along with it. So that's typically a meal. So when I was growing up here in the US and would travel back to India, I would have very much difficulty explaining 
think to both my Indian family and my American friends, what we ate because the construct was so different. Because to tell somebody, oh, I had baked chicken, they wouldn't really understand in India because they're asking like, what are all these other things that you had with it? Because that's the way they're thinking about it. And vice versa, you know, when I tell Americans that I'm having all these different things, they're confused because they're thinking, what's the main, main dish you're having? So the concept of a main dish is very different. But what I find interesting, even in the way I was explaining it right now, is as much as things may be different, the similarities across regions and cuisines, right? So similar to the multiple courses in Western Europe or in the US, there's that concept in India just done differently. So I think the science of food is universally respected. People understand that you have to get your digestive juices flowing and you have to aid your digestion. So I think keeping the science of it in mind to me today as an adult is a really big component of making sure the food is the right food that you're eating. It's interesting how you say that the Indian regions were very different because most people, when they think about the concept of Indian foods in the U.S., okay. like most of the restaurants you would see, like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, would be more catered to Indian food being more vegetarian in terms of, you know. They can that- be. Yeah, they can be. Um, although historically, when I first arrived in the U.S., immigration in America from India was fairly limited. And most of the immigration from India was from North India. Very few people from South India were here. So when I first arrived as a youngster and we would go to an Indian restaurant, it was about as foreign a food as it might be for you because I hadn't really been exposed to Indian food, uh, North Indian food. And so North Indian food tends to be, and depending on where you are in India, anything above you is considered North. So the furthest Northern you know, regions, a state called Punjab, you know, Maharashtra, those places are fairly North and West and close to the Pakistan-Afghanistan border. So their foods tend to be much more meat-oriented, very similar to Middle East, like a lot, I shouldn't say similar, but some commonalities with Middle Eastern foods, a lot of grilled meats, or even if they're meats and gravies, and breads tend to be the accompaniment as opposed to rice. So things like naan that you're probably familiar with in Indian restaurants or paratha, those kinds of things, those are all breads. Those are all from those regions. So to me growing up, we never had those breads along with a meal. It was always rice and meats were never grilled. They were always very intensive with spices, not necessarily spicy in the sense of hot, but which it can be, but it doesn't have to be, but definitely in terms of spicy in the sense of multiple types of spices being used and the meat being part of a, a, a gravy. So um, most restaurants gravy. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so most restaurants in the U.S. initially, historically, were North Indian. But then with the influx of immigration during the past 10, 20 years with all of the computer programming kind of demand, a lot of that happened from South India. So now in New York City, for instance, in Manhattan, if you go to what they call Little India in Manhattan, it's a few blocks where there are a ton of Indian restaurants and grocery stores. You could never see a South Indian restaurant, but now there are quite a number of South Indian restaurants and the food is quite different. So it's like I said, it's rice-based. And then there are some fermented rice and lentil dishes where you soak the rice and you soak a particular type of lentil overnight, and then you grind it all together and then you let it ferment. And then, so it's kind of this leavened, it's not a dough because it's runny. You can pour it, but it's like a batter, a leavened batter. And then you steam it and it's called idlis, or you can make it like crepes and that's called dosa. And it's become all the rage. I know in, in Manhattan, in the trendier parts, 
as people have become more accustomed to it. So there are some kind of American fusion Indian places that serve these crepes called dosas, which is, like I said, ultimately like a very crispy, thin crepe, but it's rice and lentil based. And then they stuff it with all kinds of different things. Um, I've seen that and I, I've seen doses. Doses are kind of like those big bread things, which can kind of be like how in the Mexican like burritos and how they just wrap it up like the wraps or something, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Except that the texture is much crispier and thinner because it's rice based. So it doesn't have any wheat in it. So it doesn't have that gluten to give it that kind of stretchy feel. So if you break it, it would be crispy and it would crunch as opposed to tearing it. Yeah. I do find it fascinating how in India and various areas, regions in India, how it's a food, as you explained earlier, how different parts of a meal and various elements to create the overall experience. And it is a mindfulness kind of thing with sensory taste and signaling the mind what part of the meal it's at. I just find that really fascinating, especially how a lot of us in like Western, especially in Scotland, that we just have certain meals and that's it and snack and things like that. And it's just fun to hear more traditional things and how different people eat meals and that and different preferences. I just, I just, I just find it really fascinating. <laughs> no, I know. And I, I, I think it's really actually just kind of universally interesting, not just in food, but just generally that sometimes we discount what was done, you know, a long time ago. And some of these places like India that tend to hold on to their traditions, so have that connection with what was done a long time ago. But I think for a long time in current society, there was a mentality that if it was from a long time ago, it must not be science-based or they must not have really known. And it's just tradition. And, you know, it doesn't really have any real meaning. But interestingly enough, the further back in time you go, it's sort of history repeats itself. Human beings have discovered a lot of things and then we rediscover them and think we're the first ones who've discovered it. And yet that knowledge was already part of the human community at some point and just forgotten and now rediscovered. So even something like the Bronze Age, right? I know that we traditionally hear about that from you know Western civilization when bronze was discovered and how human beings were able to use it. We just went a few years back and we went to visit in China and they discovered something that had been buried for centuries, millennia actually, where the terracotta soldiers were. So a king created all these soldiers, buried them with him, and then people forgot it was there. And then somebody dug a well a few years ago and found this whole fascinating preserved area. But in doing that, they discovered that they had already had knowledge of the bronze metal back then, and then it just forgotten and then rediscovered. So similar to that, I think in India, I find as I've done more work as an adult to be conscious of food, it's amazing how they got it right, the science of it right from so long ago, because the way the meals are structured understanding the digestive process, understanding you need to fire up your digestive system and aid it in digesting. And the biggest meal of the day in South India is in the afternoon, which by most scientific accounts is when your digestive juices are the most active. And in the mornings, breakfast is very non-greasy steamed foods, like the food that I just said, idli, which is a fermented rice and lentil batter. So it's got some protein in it, got some carbs, and it's steamed and it's easy to digest because it's fermented. And you usually have that with a lentil-based vegetable sauce to go with it. So when I think about from a pure science perspective, I think, wow, they've really understood what makes sense. So that's what they have. And then in the evenings, it's a very light meal. In fact, they call it tiffin in South India. And it's basically the kind of foods you might have for breakfast. You sort of repeat for dinner because you don't want to be eating something super heavy. So I think all of that to me now, even though it's tradition, it's what I grew up with. Now the science of it really kind of delves and merges with that. So it makes a lot of sense to me. 
it makes me think to where like, you know, back in black Southern food, there was a whole lot of different stuff because, you know, black Southerners tend to be very heavy with their soul food. If you really look back at yes. the history of that. So, yes. But um, again, it's the, it's the context of where you are and what you're doing. Right. I took a fascinating class when I was in college talking about how culture is influenced by geography and climate. And so I think food and what we eat is also very naturally influenced by what we do, right? So to your point, Larnell, about Black Southerners, the food tends to be much heavier because they also were working very hard. They're working 12 hours, you know, physical labor and needed to sustain themselves. And so I think that makes a whole lot of sense where in Southern India, it was a super hot climate. It's, you know, it's a subtropical environment and people were napping in the middle of the day, dealing with, you know, the heat. And so foods tended to be lighter and accommodating of the fact that you had to deal with the environment you were in and people weren't out in the sun all the time because of the way it was. It's fascinating. And as it's like the geography and climate and culture, how it just depends on what's what. It's like with Scottish people. I mean, for us, we were more into like stews, broths, soups, porridge. Because you were in a colder environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And things like haggis as well. And for more modern stuff, because Scottish like fish as well, um, a lot of fish. And we have like soups called Colin Skink as well, like a nice creamy fish soup. So it just shows that environment and climate kind of dominates what kind of foods we eat and what we can grow and what's available. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And it's necessity too, right? I mean, in India, because it was temperate and very abundant in terms of agricultural products, spices were very abundant. You had a much bigger variety of vegetables that could be grown as opposed to, you know, colder areas in Western Europe where because of the climate, you could only grow for majority part of the year root vegetables because you couldn't grow anything else. And then even though modern times changed, it imbues the culture. So then all of a sudden you have very different types of foods and very different types of cuisines that you have. So I think it's amazing because that's one of my favorite parts of traveling is eating the different foods. So I hope that that gets preserved over time, even though we have modern technology to solve for a lot of these climactic and geographical kind of things. You can literally grow anything anywhere these days in a greenhouse and you can you know, accommodate your lifestyle with air conditioning and whatever else you're doing. But I hope some of these um, original concepts continue so that we have the varied, uh, varied ways and that we live and eat. Yeah, because yeah, really, definitely. Yeah, because really, it's like having that balance of the traditional as well as some of the new stuff. Because even here on this show, the Autistic Delicatessen, we always talk about creativity and fusions and those type of things. And of course, my co-host has a tea blog called Land of Infusion, which is like a mixture of different types of teas and different oh, types of things. Yeah. So going off of that, you have like a favorite tea from Southern India that you enjoy? Absolutely. It's a commercial brand, but it's called Three Roses. Comes in a red box. You can actually get it in imported stores and Indian stores here in the US. Hmm. But after trying all different types of tea, I find that one the best. So the way we make tea in India, you can make a masala tea, which is referred to Mm -hmm. as chai. That chai is actually a Hindi word for tea. Or you can make just tea that's plain tea without having any other spices. And masala is just kind of a universal word used in India to mean a mixture of spices. So it doesn't refer to any particular type of spice, but a masala is just combination of different things. So years ago, there was that movie, Mississippi Masala. That's what they were trying to you know, play on those words because it was a mixture of this black guy dating this Indian woman and all these different oh, communities. And, 
And John and John, that was actually a good movie. Like for anybody that doesn't know, like that's a movie with Denzel Washington. So exactly, I don't know. no, I don't know. Anything, fun movie. And just as a side note, anything with Denzel Washington, you know, it's going to be a good film. So exactly, <laughs> there you go. no, yeah. it was that was a fun movie to watch, and so that's where that masala in that movie comes from. It just means mixture. So the way I make tea, I often put cardamom, which is a sweet spice. I put a couple of cloves of cardamom, crush them into the tea, and then I put um, a little bit of ginger. I crush ginger and put it in. And then I typically don't put anything else because I want it a hint of flavor, but I don't want really strong, like spiciness to the tea. A lot of people put cloves and lots of other cinnamon, lots of other things that go into a masala tea. But for me, that's what I like. Three Roses is a brand that I really like. It's just a commercial tea. But then the really the best tea is getting tea from a plantation, which, you know, I've had the benefit of doing going into a tea plantation, you know, sampling things. And so it's not really commercialized yet and being able to just pick what you want and get that. That's the best. I bet, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's like straight from the source kind of thing. Yes, and the same thing. So for a while I was spoiled because my mother had gone to a relative who uh, who had a tea plantation and we got the tea and then also cardamom straight from the plantation. And I'm telling you the pungent smell from a cardamom pod that is just freshly picked as opposed to the one you get at Publix or you know a grocery store is night and day. And even if you get it at an Indian store, the spices, the difference in the pungency is so different compared to getting it at a, at a U.S. grocery store that's been bottled in a, you know, McCormick bottle or something. Uh, just like manufactured and all that type of stuff. Yeah, right? I think it must just be, yeah, it must be more processed, must be more old. I think it's probably more dated too. But mm-hmm. and you can even see in the colors, like the cardamom pods that you get that are closer to the time of picking and fresher, they tend to be very green. But if you get them in a bottle in Publix, they tend to be tan color and it sort of fades. And if you keep it, the green one in your house for a couple of years, it takes a while. It, it sort of gets to that color. So it makes me wonder how long those spices have been sitting on those shelves. Now, John, just to throw this in there, have you ever had any Lipton tea? I have. And so I am not a fan of Lipton tea, but I'm not... Yes. I'm also not like this snob where I can't absolutely have it. So I am not such a big fan of a lot of different flavors of tea. I like green tea. I like chamomile tea, but I like like very gently flavored things. So if all I have is options of tons of flavored stuff or Lipton, I'll actually take Lipton. That's awesome. (laughs) Anyway, John, you you concur with my co-host, you know, my co-host thinks the same way. (laughs) Oh, is that right? Well, good. So great minds think alike. I'm not a big fan of Lipton myself. If, if someone had to get, if it was the only thing to drink, I, I, I would reluctantly drink it. But one of my favourite tea blends of all time, other than matcha, because I do like my green teas, various blends and strains. Chai is just one of the best proper masala chai. I try and get it from Celts, proper loose leaf from various plantations, but come from various companies. And I've tried so many. I've tried the basic proper stuff. I've tried those that try and be more experimental with flavours. But right. the best ones are the ones with, it's just a simple chai, a few spices there. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, Most authentic I, that I, way. I, like I said, I like mine with some cardamom and some uh, and some ginger. And sometimes I'll do, depending on the mood, I'll do just cardamom. But sometimes having even a little extra ginger kind of hits the back of your throat a little bit. Does, of, yeah. I like that. So depending on the mood, I'll do it. But I find the ones that are pre-mixed and called chai where they already have the spices mixed in, I tend to not be a big fan of those. So I, I like making my own chai where I start with the loose tea. 
and then add the um, the way I, we typically make it. I put the tea in with water and then add the spices in and let that simmer for a little bit and then add milk. So typically chai in India is, is always milk-based. So then you add the milk and then let that infuse a little bit more and then strain all of it. And that's how you get the perfect chai. It seems very interesting right there, you know, like just some good try, you know, lots of, for me, like I'm from the South, so I like more of the sweet tea type stuff, you know. Oh, so that's to, right. Yes. So I got to, I got to stick with that, you know, I got to put a little Southerness <laughs> in there. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. And Lipton, I, I remember I used to try when I first came to the U.S., I saw these commercials with Lipton tea advertising, like how good sweet tea was. And I would try it and I thought, oh my God, this is awful. But over time, if there's nothing else and I, you know, it's only flavors, I'll do Lipton in a pinch, but don't reach for that typically. I only go for the brisk tea with Lipton, to be honest. So that's why I go for ah, it. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's always good. It's always good to try whatever teas are available and always good to experiment and also learn to realize how they're made, especially with chai, because a lot of people don't realize that the way to try chai is traditionally made as well. A lot of people just think, oh, it's just the kettle to the cup. It's like there's like a yes. whole pot simmering method in that. And I know a few brands that actually encourage you to make it the authentic way, even the ones that already have the spices in. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, exactly. No, I know. And the simmering is the key, right? So often for when we make chai at home in the mornings, it's a 15, 20 minute venture. It's not as time consuming as it sounds because you do have to watch it, but you don't have to stand right next to it because it's simmering. But there is an art to, you know, the time that it takes really does affect the quality of the end product. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So that three roses, try that if you get a chance. Like I said, it's a commercial brand, but I found of all the different commercial brands, if I don't have access to a good loose tea from a plantation, that's sort of my go-to. What connects your faith with good food that you eat? Um, You used the word mindfulness earlier on, and I think that's probably the key to the connection between spirituality, whether it's the Baha'i faith or all all religions. I mean, Baha'is believe that all religions are one. They're coming from the same source. So the core teachings are consistent throughout, which is food is an important part of your spirituality. I mean, your body, your physical body is, you know, housing your soul. So you need to take care of it in the right way. And that connection will happen the right way. So I'm a big believer in that. I have felt it anecdotally in the sense that when I am not in a good place, I yearn to be undisciplined and eat things that are not good for me. And it kind of creates a downward spiral and then it makes me feel worse. And then, you know, so whereas if you're mindful and you are eating whole foods and eating unprocessed and eating foods at the right times, you feel better. So I think that empirical evidence is alone enough to justify the connection. And I think science backs the importance of the spiritual connection in the sense of it supports the theory that what you put in your body is how you're going to, your state of mind is going to be affected by that. And so if you're dehydrated, you're going to feel fatigued and fatigue is going to lead to a different mindset in your mind. If you're eating a lot of junk and your body's wasting a lot of energy, digesting things that it can't digest, it's going to make you feel sluggish and that's going to lead to a different state of mind. So I think to me, the mind-body connection, food is the sort of central piece of that. Obviously, physical activity and other things affect it. But to me, the biggest impact on it is what you put in your body. So I'm always preaching that with my kids because I think that's where you have that spiritual connection. You are more optimized to be at your peak spirituality when your body is optimized. 
Well, Janu, we really thank you for this conversation that you had with us about different types of Indian food in the southern region, as well as your spirituality. Yeah, no, I appreciate you reaching out and getting a viewpoint that may not be uh, part of the mainstream. So I really enjoyed this. No worries. It, it was Look great. forward to it having some chai with both of you. No worries. So that was Janu talking about all things spiritual and food and the whole combination of the two and also all things chai. <laughs> <It's Cornell. laughs> what did you think of the conversation? Uh, well, for one, Janu agreed with you on the Lipton stuff. So <laughs> you have an ally there. <laughs> Finally, but... someone that gets it. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than chastising In a, a non slow <laughs> way, it's just at the end of the day, it's all opinion for someone that likes certain teas or not. It's great to see someone that understands that Lipton. Sorry, Lipton, if you hear this, um, <laughs> don't hurt me. <laughs> and that as a brand, specific tea products can be considered not that great. But at the same time, if it's there, I will drink it. At the end of the day, tea is tea. But for the UK, we're more tetley. So it'd be like, oh, it's just tetley here. Or oh, it's fine, I'll just drink that. I mean, I don't mind that. Sometimes you just want a simple tea. No frills, that's it. Even if it's just bog standard cheap tea. Sometimes that hits the spot the best. But yeah, it was also great talking about, oh man, so much things about Indian food I had no idea. Ah, so yeah, many yeah. things based in different regions and things. and From the, from the southern region, so really. Kinds of, southern, yeah, um, so many kinds of lentils, I had no idea. <laughs> and, and really also the fact that John Nu talked about the meat and how there's people in the Indian region, the southern Indian region that eat meat and they're not just vegetarian because I've had the non bread. And remember, like, I think this was something that even, uh, remember, Sadia Faruqi in our last video episode talked about the non stuff. Yeah, I think I've noticed that about India. There's um, definitely a varied diversity when it comes to like preferences and stuff like that, which is really cool. I don't know a lot of it, but I've got a limited view, but I have looked on and off on the internet. And it's just so cool to see what I've seen so far. And I do speak to a few Indian people myself, actually, or follow a few Indian people. So maybe I should ask them about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is most of your Indian friends or people that you follow from the northern region or from the southern region? I can't remember. I can't remember. I feel bad. And if you guys are listening, I apologize. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> but in general, it would just be nice to know. I just love seeing and hearing about different cultures and those sharing it. Even our guests, including Janu, just telling us their history or their points of views, even points of views we don't even know of. I respect that and I enjoy that so much. And I hope you viewers do too. Definitely. And also make sure you have some tea with masala. I just thought it was interesting. And even like she referenced a Denzel Washington film, which I've actually seen Mississippi Masala. Now, if you haven't seen that, I would just say find it on on demand or any type of streaming television platforms. You know, it's a good film. Definitely check it out. And also and try some chai or make your own. I'm sure there's plenty of tutorials online. It's just basically a few spices and black tea and milk, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have but some, don't, yeah. but but please don't fall for the chai lattes that have like a chai syrup. Don't go that route, please. Go for the actual authentic style. I'll admit, I don't usually make it the authentic style. I'm quite lazy and use the teapot and add some milk and usually have the pre-spiced. But one day when I'm more confident with making my own blends, with buying normal black tea and that, I've thought of it doing it for a few years, but I've not done it yet. One day when I do do that, I want to attempt a try and make it properly. And I'll probably make it not 
100% properly because I usually have alternative milk for my drinks, but I can drink milk. I'll probably try both actually. And I'll try that. So for those who don't want to try chai, look into it. That's not your chai latte way. Please don't call it chai tea latte because you're just saying GG. Tea tea latte. <laughs> chai means tea. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so it's like chai tea. Like I hear about chai tea a lot here in the US and it's like tea tea. Anyway, that's a whole different reference. And we can probably. Yeah, I, have... I blame Starbucks for it. So they use it. So it's like, no, Starbucks. Yeah, but, it's not a tea but, tea latte. It's a tea. But, but, but otherwise, than that, like Starbucks, you still have some good food and some good drinks. So it's like, you know, I'm not trying to like throw a punch at Starbucks right here. But, you know, criticism are welcome. So yeah, it's. it's... I don't mind their coffee. But I think when it comes to best coffee, Starbucks isn't number one, but they're good. They're useful. And I do like their lattes and stuff. So Starbucks, if you're listening, I'm not dissing you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's good, you know. <laughs> we thank you for listening to our episode of the Autistic Delicatessen. And we'd like to thank John U for being our guest again. And um, if you want to check out anything more about our show and, of course, the past episodes, whether they're on YouTube or on podcasts, you know, from platforms like Spotify, Anchor, or even Google Podcasts, please go on to theampliverse.com slash the-autistic-delicatessen. And if you like the music to the podcast and the video series, all provided by Batsauce, please check out his content on batsauce.bandcamp.com or on fullplate.bandcamp.com or on streaming services like Spotify. It's great to support independent music artists, so give him a shot. He's got a good catalogue. Definitely, and ones that are talented. That's the biggest thing, though. So we thank you, Bad Sauce, again for providing us such good music and really having it for our show, because otherwise in that, we would have had that stock music stuff. <laughs> it's just, you know, you had to, like, put that stuff for free, and, you know, nothing against stock people, but it's just sometimes you, you just got to go for good music, so. <laughs> Original music, so. I'm just saying it right there, so. If it's a rant, I'm sorry, but it is what it is, so. <laughs> well, until next time. What you eat, what you drink, is your story. Mm-hmm.